Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of the Nathan Wolfel Outdoors podcast. I am Nathan Wolfel of NathanWolfelOutdoors.com. Thank you very much for joining me. A few minor housekeeping items before we really dig in today. First and foremost, be sure to visit NathanWolfelOutdoors.com frequently for the latest content from the Wisconsin outdoors. Tips, tricks, recipes, stories from just being outside, some of my adventures, and things that will hopefully help you enjoy the beauty of nature a little bit more. You can find me on social media by following Nathan Wolfel Outdoors on Facebook, or you can find me on Instagram at ndubs41. That's at ndubs41 on Instagram. This show is brought to you in part by Keepers Only Company. Keepers Only is a clothing company founded by and made for anglers. Some excellent outerwear that's great and comfortable. I personally have a long sleeve I love very much. Hats, rain jackets, anything you might need to be comfortable and look good outdoors, check out keepersonly.co. And be sure to use the code Nathan Wuffle at checkout. That's my name, all one word, all caps, Nathan Wuffle at checkout for 15% off your order. So today, you know, this site is many things. And I tried to make the website and this show a reflection of how I feel about the outdoors and how I spend my time in the outdoors. And I've talked to a lot of people who have said, hey, you know, if you want to get a little more popular, you should really try to like niche down a little bit, maybe just do fishing, just do hunting, just do birding, maybe just pick one and things might go a little better for you. But I want this site, this show, all the content that comes around Nathan Wolfel Outdoors to be an accurate representation of what I love so much about living in Wisconsin and spending my free time outside. And the variety that comes with living here, the variety of opportunities is exactly what I love most. And so I've resisted the idea of having to niche down a little bit in hopes of gaining more of a following, maybe tightening up the focus a bit to something more specific than just the Wisconsin outdoors, but it just doesn't feel right. And it doesn't feel like me. And it doesn't feel like the stories I want to tell and the things I want to share. But today's guest kind of embodies that definitely embodies that. This is the first guest we've ever had on, you know, the, the primary things I focus on on the site, fishing, hunting, and birding, you know, throwing some recipes in there, but the big three are fishing, hunting, and birding. And today's guest is the first guest I've ever had on the show who really has a, a broad depth of knowledge in all three of those areas. And that is Daryl Christensen. Daryl, it'd be easier to explain what Daryl doesn't do in the outdoors than what he does. He is one of the busiest guys I've ever met. And he loves every second of his time in the Wisconsin outdoors. He's, he's majorly involved in birding. Um, he is a commentator on head-to-head -head fishing. He is, used to be a pro angler. He is a fishing guide. Um, definitely loves hunting and just spending time outside. And so we have a very wide-ranging conversation of all kinds of topics. Lots of fishing talk, a little bit of hunting talk, plenty of birding talk. And he's just an interesting man who is so wise and has so much to say, has learned so much, so much to offer. And it's just, I, I, I wanted to be able to talk to him about how he got into all of this stuff, how other people can enjoy all of this stuff as well, how he makes the time to be as diversely invested in the outdoors as he is. And just sit back and let him talk, let him share his stories and, and everything he has learned along the way. 
So without further ado, I give you Daryl Christensen. All right, everyone, as promised, I am here with Daryl Christensen. You may know him as a professional angler. You may know him as a commentator on H2H Fishing. You may know him as an author. You may know him as a guide. You may know him as a lot of things, but we have him here speaking with us today. And first of all, Daryl, thank you very much for joining the show. I greatly appreciate it. Well, you bet, Nate. It's a pleasure to always be here. So, great. I I'm going to start you with the question that I start all of my guests with. And, and that first question being, who or what got you into the outdoors? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I, I suppose part of it was my grandfather. He was uh, a big-time outdoorsman. And my dad was kind of. But I, I, lived, in, I lived in a small town, but the woods was right next to town. And uh, that was kind of my escape, you know. Uh, large family, seven children, uh, six brothers, six, uh, and I'm sorry, three brothers and three sisters. And I don't know, I just wanted to be by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Some peace and quiet. And, 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 but, but we lived on the Fox River, so uh, I wanted to be down there fishing and uh, so I, I fished every day as a kid, and and that just, I never got sick of it, never got tired of it, it just fueled it, you know. And, uh, so it was inevitable that at some point I would make a living doing it, and I uh, was able to do that. But uh, I, I'd have to say just hanging around my grandpa would, could tell us me story. And my great-grandfather, uh, who... Uh, Actually, he was born in 1867. Wow. And uh, and he didn't pass away till I was 19 years old. He was 100. So wow. So he he told you know he told me about passenger pigeons and, and the giant white pine in northern Wisconsin and, and just having lived in Wisconsin, you can't even imagine post Civil War and 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 to know someone that you can actually talk to that can tell you stories. Of the of that era, it was pretty dang exciting, you know. Yeah, that's and he incredible. Fought, he, I mean, he actually fought uh, in the Indian Wars out, out west. I mean, and those went into the late nineteen hundreds, and uh, yeah, he was quite a he was an adventurer. He was uh, uh, kind of an Indiana Jones type guy. <laughs> uh, I always tell my I always tell my my friends. I have a lot of friends, uh, you know, in the environmental side of things and and i always say well my great-grandfather uh he uh cut all the all the white pine down well first he was a pigeoner and when he ran out of passenger pigeons then he became a lumberman and when he ran out of white pine he moved out to california and cut all the redwoods down and and fought the indians and they don't like that but i thought it was pretty funny It was a different time back then. It was a different time back then. And and you know, and it was and and uh and he had a lot of uh remorse about some of that. You know, he he thought he says, you know, we thought it would never end. The numbers of birds, the numbers of trees. Uh and he joined Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. So he uh did that for a few years and 
Wow. His, his greatest claim to fame was out shooting Annie Oakley, which uh, in, a, in a contest, which, uh, by my understanding, she was a pretty good shot. So. <laughs> that would be my understanding as well. <laughs> that is so incredible. I come from this. I come from this really weird, uh, <laughs> colorful background. So, I, I mean, you, you know, somebody in the family has to carry on that tradition, right? So here we go. So. I want to ask you then, because you've been at this a while, you've been part of nature and enjoying it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to hear how your great grandfather, how he grew, his understanding of the world changed from how he made a living and what he had to do to what he saw afterward and went, wow, like you said, we thought it'd last forever. Has there been any natural resource in your life? in your time in the outdoors where you've gone through a similar story where maybe you weren't necessarily part of harvesting a certain type of animal or certain type of trees or hunting a certain type of bird, whatever the case may be, but something you felt was in abundance when you started going into the outdoors that it isn't that way anymore. Well, I think, you know, as a waterfall hunter, I mean, we've had our ups and downs with, uh, you know, when, when, when grandfather and great grandfather talk about, the millions of ducks darkening the sky and all like all those stories, right? Yeah. And of course, uh, I've been here over seventy years and never got to see that. As a matter of fact, duck populations when I started hunting were very low. I mean, we had a thirty-day season, uh, and you know now we're we have a sixty-day season and, and and higher bag limits and and a lot of that that that's that's a success story because uh, at the time it didn't look good. And growing up, there was uh, 50 hooping cranes left in the world, you know, and today there's almost a thousand. So, uh, so not everything we did as humans resulted in extinction. Uh, once I think there was a re- the reality, most hunters don't want to see anything become extinct. Uh, maybe wolves uh, don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> And they almost did too. True, and you know, and that's a recovery thing. And 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 trumpeter swans, just uh, they were extinct from Wisconsin. Now they're abundant in Wisconsin. They're doing great. Yes, they are. So we've had we we've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of good things, and and a few not so good things. You know that that have happened. Uh, I think our fisheries have improved by and large. Our water quality has improved by and large. From back then, I mean, our waters are pretty nasty. And a lot of pollution, a lot of uh, pesticide poisoning and things that are, are no longer taking place. So uh, those are good things. I, I guess the bad things, the things that have changed is invasive species. Uh, yeah. Especially uh, emerald ash borer right now where... You know, I I drive around my county and I see a million dead ash trees. You know, and uh, but you know, what do you do? I mean, you, you can't save everything, and something will grow to replace those trees. And things in nature will take advantage of those dead trees, and and uh, and their their numbers will spike. They'll go way up, and and so there's always. You know, in nature, something always fills that niche. Yep. Nature never wastes. Never, never wastes. It may not be what we wanted true. to fill. You know, but, <laughs> Very true. But, uh, uh, Asian carp being a great example. You know, and, uh, you know, they filled a void. 
uh, in the Mississippi and Illinois rivers, and uh, we unfortunately they did, you know. Yeah. When would you say? I want to back up for a second. When would you say you had the realization that you could make a living in the outdoors? What was it? Was it, did it happen over a period of time? Was there an aha moment? What made you, because for a lot of people, um, there are a lot of people who it takes a very long time to have that realization. Some people who are excellent at hunting and fishing and birding never have that realization. What made you, what, what was that moment for you? Yeah, that's easy. I mean, I, I lived on a river, caught fish all the time. And uh, even at seven, eight years old, I was catching carp and catfish and selling them to the anglers from Illinois and Milwaukee that would come up to fish or drink and not fish at all and just <laughs> buy my fish and, and take them back and say, look what I caught, honey. That's <laughs> but, awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> my fishing great. trip. But uh, I, it, I mean, I didn't ever think I would be a commercial fisherman, per se. Um, but I knew I could be a fishing guide. I was guiding, uh, even at that age of 10, 11 years old, rowing a giant rowboat with people in it and, uh, on the river and they would cast for bass and pike and maybe fish crappies, walleyes on occasion. So, uh, and for five bucks a day. <laughs> I was making the big money back then. <laughs> yeah. I could fill up my car with gas for less than five bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Your your dollar so, <laughs> got you a lot farther back then. <laughs> uh, and you know, and I, I, you know, I went to college for a while and uh, wanted to try to get a degree in biology, but I was never uh, a great student, even though I was a high honor student. Uh, I it wasn't my thing. I, you know, I, I kind of got to the point where I figured I learned enough and it was time to go do something with it, which which uh, has always been kind of my philosophy. Uh, knowledge is great, but if you don't, if you never apply it, what good is it? And and uh, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, Andy Cleveland, you know, said you know, he said to me, you know, Daryl, he says I had all this great knowledge on how to catch bass, but I didn't know how to apply it. He says, and finally the light went on, and and uh, and you know he said I found somebody who was good at it and could could show me how to apply the knowledge I had, and it made him a great fisherman, and and uh, and, and that's how I've always been with everything: uh, apply it, apply it, apply it, learn it, and then apply it. Don't just learn it and think you know it all if you never apply it, because you don't. And and we see that all over the world today. A lot of head knowledge, uh, skill level about a zero. So, yeah, it's yeah. true. What was so when you decided, hey, I've learned what I've had to learn. It's time to move on to something else. Where was the first place you applied your knowledge? What was the first thing out of the gates? <laughs> well, first I had I got married and and had a bunch had had five kids, and then uh, I found out if you do that, you have to get a job, which was really infuriating to me. I thought that I was a pretty smart guy, but, <laughs> you know, uh, so I had eh, 30 jobs in about 10 years uh, because it was never something I wanted to do. Um, finally, in 1978, I said, you know what? 
I've been out of school now 10 years, and I'm working in a factory, and I'm doing something I don't want to do. I'm going to start freelance writing. I, I loved outdoor writing. I loved to read outdoor books. So I started freelance writing, uh, did it for 10 years. Uh, during that time, I was uh, president of Wisconsin Outdoor Communicators Association. I was on the board of... of uh, of, of the Great Lakes Outdoor Writers Association and low, and and uh, things were great. I mean, you know, I was doing something I loved. It was freelancing is hard work. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, you 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 just write and write and write and write. And but I got to fish with some great guys, and I got to learn so much by fishing with so many different fishing guides, so many some pro fishermen, of course, that I, I got to fish with as a writer. Um, and then one day, uh, somebody challenged me to, they said, well, if you're such a, if you think you're such a great fisherman, why don't you fish the walleye tournament trail? And uh, Scott Hill overheard that, and he said, why don't you fish it with me? I, I my, you know, I, I need a partner. So we did, we did great. And, uh, that that exact time period in my life, the industry actually had money, <laughs> <laughs> or money they were willing to spare. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah, and uh, our share. So I got sponsored, and then there were, then I went twenty years on the walleye tour and uh, as a fully sponsored pro, and uh, that was my profession. I stopped outdoor writing because I didn't think it was right for me to be writing. While I was a professional angler, I felt that leave that for those guys because they got to make a living too. And if I'm writing all the stories with my byline on it, they're not making the money. So I, I told every outdoor writer, I said, look, you guys, I'm not doing it. You want to write a story about walleye fishing, give, give me the interview and I'll do the story with you. And, and that worked out really well. Did a lot of photo shoots and stuff, and and just you know, I mean, it was work. It was work, but it was fun, and I miss it. You know, and that that brings a whole another thing. <laughs> uh, but I still like the tournament fish. Yes, and that was that was a place I was going to go with you. You got back in the boat a couple of weeks ago, and actually, that's part of the reason I didn't reach out to you right away. Because um, right. I know when we originally talked, it was going to be toward the end of April, early May, and then I saw I see a name that I was very familiar with come across on the H H fishing team tournament side for the first bass tournament of the year. I'm like, well, I think Daryl might have his hands full for a week, so I'm going to let him go do his thing before I even bother him. Tell me about tell me about your time back tournament fishing a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, Dale Helgeson, who fished the professional walleye series last year and is fishing uh, AIM this year and actually uh, doing quite well, uh, said, hey, uh, you want to fish the Lake Geneva Bass Tournament with me? I said, sure. You know, so Razor Rod sponsored us. said, yeah, I'll sponsor you guys. So we uh, went out there with one day of practice because he, he was he was out west and my life is so busy right now that I don't have time to hardly even think about fishing. But uh, but I wanted to do that. 
And, you know, we didn't, we didn't make the cut. We caught some bass. We did, we did have some weight and, uh, and it was actually one really close to where we were fishing. So we kept, we had the area, but we didn't have enough time to put it together, basically. Um, now, having said that, the winner only had two days of practice <laughs> on a lake he'd never fished before. And, uh, I never fished in either, either, but, uh, and that, and they turned around and won. So, uh, and, and I'm like, you know, that's not all bad. And, and he, you know, he was an 18 time Bassmaster Classic qualifier. Wow. Uh, uh, but he, he was good and he was able to come in and put something together and, and, uh, it was, but it it was the most miserable day of fishing. You guys dealt Seriously. with rain. That rain, I <laughs> I turned it on early in the morning. I'm like, these guys are gonna have such a long day. Like uh, the rain was terrible. <laughs> it was brutal, sideways, and uh, fortunately, our cameraman was Kyle Carpenter, who is tournament director. And friend because of this some, show. Because <laughs> some really smart person who was a camera guy uh, couldn't make it that day. Right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, uh, and I kept looking back. I felt so sorry for that. All those camera guys, you know, trying to, sh- to shoot in that horrible weather. And, uh, and, and then here's Kyle, who is a, who's a pro bass angler in his own right, a really yep. good one, having to sit there and watch two walleye guys trying <laughs> to catch bass. And, and, and he's probably thinking, man, these guys are clueless. They don't know what you're doing. So, uh, but anyway, we caught some fish and uh, added pressure having Kyle there. And actually, Kyle hired me uh, at Head to Head last year. So, uh, uh, and he's an that guy, you talk about knowledge. And applying knowledge, Kyle Carpenter. Uh, if you ever, I'd love to fish a bass tur- tournament with him, uh, just because I wouldn't have to catch any fish. <laughs> <laughs> he, he'd get them all, and that'd be okay. So, when was the last tournament you fished prior to the Lake Geneva Bass event? Well, I fished uh, the uh, River Country. Bassmasters Frigid Open uh, on Lake Puckaway in 2016, I believe was was the last time I fished that. Yes. What was it like to get back in the boat in a tournament setting? Because I try, I've only done a handful of salmon derbies. I've done nothing compared to what H2H puts on, what you've gone through. Sure. But I'd like to think I get the sense of understanding at least to a certain extent that tournament fishing the excitement the adrenaline the pressure the nerves all that stuff it just it's different it's different than just going out and saying hey you know we want to go bang on the bass today and have a really fun day it's a lot different when it's like hey we think we know a thing or two and we want to try to apply it and we're doing the same thing you know we're, we're going to put ourselves right up against a bunch of people who are really good um can you describe kind of the emotions that come from tournament angling, it just seems to me like every fish means a little more, you know, it just feels a little different. Well, it, it does. And, and there's, you know, there's pressure 
from a lot of areas. I mean, if you're fully sponsored, there's pressure from your sponsors to perform. Uh, but not only just perform by catching fish, but, but to promote product while doing it. Uh, in the old days, before we had cameras in the boats, most of that promotion was done in sports shows. But once the professional water trail started, you only got a camera. Uh, you never got one in the boat, or rarely got one in the boat, but you only got one if you were leaving after the first day or the second day. And then they, then they would have a camera on you all day. Uh, to me, for me, that was not pressure. And I think, for me, for me personally, cameras were never a big deal because I was so used to being in front of the public doing speaking and as a writer and all that kind of stuff. So now that was never a big deal, but to a lot of guys, it's a huge deal. I get they that. Feel so pressured. And, and the other thing is, if if you if you have a camera on you all day, like like what we do with with head to head fishing, every angler the last three days has a camera all day and and his own sight so you can you can go to that camera and watch that one guy fish all day live sometimes you forget the microphones on <laughs> yes. okay i mean be, because a lot of guys are new at this and they don't re- they you know they know the camera guys in the boat of course but they don't they kind of they're fishing they kind of forget sometimes and so it's a really weird stuff comes out Sometimes, uh, and uh, I can't wait for HDH to put together some outtake stuff and uh, <laughs> you know, down the road sometime and make a video. I don't know, put it on somewhere. What would somewhere you say? What would you say? Um, if you had to pick, I, I'm actually, I'm gen- now, not with given what you've just said, I'm genuinely interested in which one you're going to choose because now you've done the head to head events both ways. You've been the commentator and the analyst and you've been the competitor. Do you, right. whether or not withstanding, which one would you prefer? Like if you had your pick, Hey, you could commentate on any tournament or you could fish any tournament. Are you picking fishing or analyzing? Fishing. Hands down. I fi- I, not even a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. I, I, I love to compete. I love the competition. And that'll probably never go away. Uh, had it not been for the market crash in 2008, I'd probably still be competing. Uh, but 2008 was a killer for millions of people. Yeah. And and this is this is about the same right now. Uh, we haven't seen it all yet. Uh, where we're at right now, five dollar gas, boat gas or more. You know, just because you got an expensive boat and truck doesn't mean you can afford the gas to put in it. No, that's for sure. That is for sure. (laughs) People may think so, but you know, if you can afford a hundred thousand dollar boat, you can afford the gas. Actually, if you buy a hundred thousand dollar boat and finance it, you probably cannot afford the gas, and it ends up being an ornament out there in your driveway. And uh, so, so that those, you know, those things are tough and. But the, on, a, on a competitive level, I mean, I, I still probably this year will fish another event. I don't know if it'll be a head-to-head event. Uh, there's one I would really like to fish. And which one's and, that? Uh, uh, the Northwoods Ender. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. And, and a 
course, that's bass again. And what one of the the things that I didn't talk about earlier is is when when the lenders came around, started in fishing, and actually uh, the facts of fishing uh, before in fishermen. I was so intrigued by that, and I was I was just out of the army. Al was just out of Vietnam, and and, and started this fishing thing, and I'm like, wow, is this guy smart about fishing? This fish location presentation thing is what I've done since I was a little kid. Okay, there's a northern. He's in four feet of water. What do I throw at him? You know, I mean, and I was always that way, and. I wanted to be a bass pro because bass BASS had just started and I thought, Oh, look at this. These guys are making $4,000 winning a tournament. You know, yeah. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Right. And look at it today. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. And, and, and so that was always my first love was I caught jillions of walleyes, but competitively I wanted to be a bass pro. Um, the walleye thing kind of just dropped in my lap, and at uh, an opportune time, and, and you know, I tried it in 1988 and won three tournaments, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm pretty good at this, you know, and, and two on bodies of water I never fished before, so so you, you you're like, I think I can do this, and and, and that kind of pushed me to keep tournament fishing and it was my life. I mean, it was what I was. I mean, I was, I was a tournament pro. And when that came, it literally came crashing down. It wasn't a, it wasn't a very smooth exit from the, from this business at all. Uh, Just phone calls from sponsors saying, sorry, but with the market crash, money's gone. We're, we're, we're voiding all the contracts and blah, blah, blah. So, and I'm not going to, I would, I always told my wife and promised I will never fish on my own dollar. I said, if I'm going to do this, somebody's got to, it's got to be sponsored. And it always was. And it was fantastic. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard for me to see, especially in the walleye industry, how it's not supported even remotely like bass is. But I understand it from the industry standpoint. You got walleyes, walleye tournaments in 19, 20 states. You got bass tournaments in 48 states. Uh, and, and you got this gigantic following. Uh, they keep adding tournament circuits and it, it never stops. And, and, and people keep watching it. People like it and, and they're excited about it. And, and, and for my walleye, professional walleye angler, Mentors and friends, it's hard for me to watch those guys struggling out there trying to make a nickel, if, you know, fishing a tournament. I mean, it's it's uh, kind of not fair in a way, but it is what it is. It's business, and I get that. I'm not going to nickel sin you. Well, and I want to. I wanted to say something. I, I want to say something lighthearted, but I also want to follow up on the serious point you made. That I was going to say, Daryl, you're really playing into the old cliche that all walleye guys just want to be bass guys. <laughs> because, well, they want the money, right? Yeah, you're exactly, you're exactly right. And I think, and that's what's interesting because it's not like it's it's 
it's hard because it's such a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways that part of the reason that the, in my estimation, and you know, you have the experience with this, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the reason there's so much money in bass fishing is because there's so many eyeballs on bass fishing, but there's so many eyeballs on bass fishing because there's so much money in bass fishing and it just goes around, 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 around. What is the solution for like on the walleye side of things? Is there a solution? Is there a way to even get to a, to get closer to the success? Because to me watching even on TV, on H to H, wherever it may be when it's good, Watching walleye fishing for me, someone who loves angling, is every bit as exciting, right. and the anglers are every bit as skilled as the bass guys you constantly see on TV. How does that gap get bridged, or does it? Well, it can get better, and 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 the best way for it to get better is artificial only tournaments. Um, you know, the industry is totally not interested in what size leeches, minnows, or crawlers. <laughs> it's, it's so true. Because uh, they don't sell them. So, and this, this, which is what head-to-head fishing was all about. You know, and, and we're still artificial only. Uh, yeah, it, it, it can be tougher. And especially early on, you know, in the early stages when, when a lot of anglers were not used to fishing artificial. Um, but we we hit like the Malax tournament last year, way outfish guys around them that were fishing live bait. Uh, our guys uh, fishing artificial. So, uh, tournament competition. You know, there's still a lot of people fishing bass with night crawlers, live frogs, crawdads. You know, you name it. Water dogs, all the stuff we used to dig around, <laughs> crawl around in the mud trying to catch so we could catch a big bass on back, you know, 60 years ago. But uh, but the majority of the bass anglers today are using artificial, even the weekend angler. It took 60 years. So for, for walleye anglers, the everyday angler, to, or even occasional angler to say, okay, I don't need to catch walleyes with live bait. I can catch enough with artificials. For them to convince themselves of that takes time. It's going to take time. Just like the panfish guys, the ice fishing guys, uh, none who fished artificials, say, 30, 40 years ago. And now probably half or more are, are they're not using spikes and wax worms and mousies and all they're using artificial they're using plastics and they're slaughtering those fish with plastics walleye is the same way uh you watch a lot all you do is watch a lot of the walleye shows and i i know there's editing i get all that but you see these guys you know professional fishermen they're not tournament anglers they're just professional fishing anglers and they're out there catching walleye after walleye after walleye. And they're not using artificials. They're using hair jigs. They're using plastics. They're using crankbaits. They're using spoons. They're using glide baits. I mean, they're catching, uh, catching them in so many different ways. That's what gets the industry interested. Now, how many baits are you going to sell for me as opposed to how many dozen minnows do I need? And do I got to get emerald shiners because they won't bite on fat heads? And all of a sudden, the drama, the live bait drama that's always been part of walleye fishing. 
Uh, you got to have the black leeches that are 3.9 inches long. <laughs> uh, and if they're bigger than that, they ain't biting on them. If they're brown, they're not biting. And all that craziness, and, you know, that is all eliminated when you go to artificial. I want to talk walleyes with you for a second because someone who has the knowledge and experience you have, if I don't get our listeners here some some walleye insight from you, okay. I'm not doing my job. <laughs> um the first question, so I, I was on your website and I saw that you have monthly fishing tips and there's something really interesting about how to target walleyes each month. I have a website. You do. You do. I'll send okay. it to you. Um, and there's tips on Sorry. there. There's tips on there yeah. that hopefully someone isn't making money off of who's not you. Um, there's tips on there on how to catch the fish, how to catch walleye, target walleye during each month of the year. And something okay. I found interesting is that, A, there was legitimately a tip for all 12 months of the year, even though November and February sure seemed like scary mm-hmm. months to be out walleye yeah. fishing. There were tips in there. But I wanted to talk to you about this time of year. We're currently in kind of the transition where sometimes I feel like outside of the hardcore folks, the hardcore anglers, after that spawning run is done, like walleyes are kind of forgotten about until summertime. And my understanding from some of the information you have, this can be some of the best weeks of the year to put some walleye in the boat. What would you, depending on, let's say Fox River, for instance, or the Fox River system, you know, Mm -hmm. give some, could you give some examples of, Hey, here's where you should really be targeting fish as you transition from the spawning period to where the fish are going to be hanging out in summer, because there are fish to be had if you're willing to go out and look for them. Yeah, there are. And, you know, when walleyes are in a post-spawn, they're drifting back to wherever they came from, the Fox River system, the Wolf River system, they're going back to Winnebago, Poignabula more uh, as well. Um, they're hungry. You know, they're, they're, they're very hungry. This year is so wacko. I, yes. I was out yesterday. The water temperature was 75 degrees. That's nuts. On, on Lake Puckaway. And walleyes were biting. They can't, you know, they can't help themselves. They got to eat, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, uh, a lot of fish are biting, actually. But, um, and, and you're right, a lot of people, when that hot bite, that spring bite, and, and, and what we saw this year, we saw a good bite. And a lot of people caught so many fish that that they're not fishing anymore. You know, they, they don't really, at least we're, in this crowd here, let's say in the Winnebago system, the majority of people fish for food. You know, let's face it. I mean, I mean, and you know, you can have three a day. You catch, so you got six possession. That's twelve fillets in the freezer, and you eat some, and you give some away. Whatever you're doing, you're not, you know, that's that's your deal. But after a while, you're like, why am I spending this money to go fishing for walleyes just to throw them back? This is a, another difference between walleye anglers and bass anglers. Yeah. Bass anglers, you know, they'll throw a thousand bass back and, and, and really be excited about it. And walleye anglers are like, man, I want to eat this. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that. You know, the, I look at a walleye. I look at a, I look at a nice golden brown fillet. That's what I see, and and now I'm talking eaters. You know, I'm not talking ten pounders. Right, right, right. That kind of thing. I mean, I mean, you, 
because with, with, with the walleye, you have your trophy fish. Uh, anyway, get back to your question. Uh, what, what ends up happening uh, is they lose interest. And it's not so much because there's no bite. We have tournaments. People catch tons of fish during, the, during that transition period all the time. So the fish are still biting. It's just making an adjustment to the bite. And in, in, in this system, one, one of the easiest, in fact, it's one of the easiest ways to catch them is just drifting with the current and dragging a night crawler on the bottom on either a plain hook or just a small jig. Uh, you know, just float down the river. You don't, you don't, even, you don't even need a... Boy, I'm not, see, I can say this now because I don't have to stroke a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You don't even need electronics. You don't even need a trolling motor. Hmm? Uh, you just go out there. You drift with the current. You, you see people doing this all the time with little boats out there catching walleyes. Uh, so, you know, those guys don't care about the hundred thousand dollar. Walleye boat with side scan and, and all the other stuff, bells and whistles that, that we have these days, um, they're just drifting down the river catching fish. And and the bite's good. I mean, I mean, you have generally maybe a week to 10 days of this lull. You can have this lull. It doesn't always happen. And that's, I think, when they lose interest. If they're hammering fish, hammering fish, hammering fish, all of a sudden, they're getting fewer and fewer and fewer uh, because these fish have all gone into spawn or they're in a post-spawn funk for a few days, a week maybe. And so they go, well, it's over. On to the crappies and white bass. <laughs> you know, so, and, and, and all you got to do is look at Facebook. Yeah. You know, uh, just loaded with walleye photos all of all of April. <laughs> yep. and now all we're seeing are white bass and crappies yep. and bluegills. I am I am guilty of that. My my last picture <laughs> my last picture on Facebook was a whole mess of crappies, and it wasn't because we got bored on walleye. It was because that's what we went to fish for. But you know, to to your point, there were plenty of walleye pictures a couple weeks ago, oh, <laughs> and now we're right, now we're right. on crappie pictures. Right. <laughs> Unless you're on Lake Erie, then it's all year. But uh, yeah, you know. But 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 in in our systems here, and the other thing is trout season opened, yep. and and a lot of people trout fish, and and that, and that's the same thing. Opening, I went today. I went trout fishing today with my grandson. He'd never trout fished before, and I said, Let, let's go. I said, opening weekend, or a thousand cars parked up up there, but you know, so the fish are spooky and they're sore mouth and blah blah blah. But let's go anyway. We get up there, there's nobody there. We get down on the creek, there's no boot tracks, even wow. in the mud. So so they went crazy to catch trout opening weekend and last weekend. And now, it's, now they're like, and it's, it's always like that. So I would never even go opening weekend and fight that, that battle. Why? You know, unless you have a place nobody else is fishing. Right. Place. So, so. That's and and what else is happening right now? Bluegills are spawning. Generally, it's later than this, but the water is seventy-five degrees. Bass are on the beds already, really early, and it's it's all because of those. Yeah, you get four days and ninety degrees in Wisconsin in early May, like we just had. And, <laughs> sorry about that. That's okay. Busy and, house. And and and, uh, and the water 
I'm supposed to be in another Zoom meeting right now. That's probably the phone call. <laughs> <laughs> well, you run whenever you got it because I'm not getting you in trouble, Daryl. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it's okay. I, I told them I was busy. But anyway, um, and they don't need me anyway. <laughs> so um, uh, all of these things are happening with this warmer weather at the same time. And usually you have these breaks in between where you can transition from one species to another, but right now everything is fighting. So it's really spreading the anchors around, which is kind of nice. Um, but yeah, the walleye, to get back to the walleyes, uh, just drift, you know, walleyes, they sit, they sit in the holes. You drift through the holes. You can vertical jig it, but dragging some, something like a, like a crawler or leech, even, uh, will catch those fish. Now, if you don't want to use live bait, then use hair jigs, plastics. They bite on them. Uh, the water's warmer up, use spoons, blade baits. All of the all of the stuff that you need a little bit warmer water sometimes to, for those fish to have metabolism will be up enough for them to chase something down. Uh they're and they're hungry. So yeah, you don't you don't have to I mean, like in two weeks we got a head to head walleye tournament on Bagel. Artificial only. And everybody says, ah, you know, it's going to be one trolling because you, know, you can run more lines and crankbaits, blah, 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 blah. But we'll see. You know? Well, I want to get your thoughts quick because you mentioned it on a broadcast last year um, on the PWS, um, one of the PWS broadcasts. And I, I think it just, it came up in a, as a side conversation in one of the other events. Just taking a look critically at, at the health of the bagel system, because in my part of the world, I mean, I live in Sheboygan falls. When I, when I think walleye fishing and what I grew up with, that is what I grew up with. That is where we went walleye fishing and my horizons have expanded a little bit since then. But that lake is such a big source of the opportunity to walleye fish for so many people, which is very important to have, but that lake has changed. I mean, I think of how much has changed in my lifetime, much less how much it has changed sure. in yours. In sure. your, by your assessment, where is the bagel system at right now in terms of walleye health and 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 quality opportunities for an average angler like myself? Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm actually qualified to answer that question. <laughs> uh, I'm not a biologist. Sure. <laughs> uh, but... Um, I am a biologist wannabe. I, I, I do a ton of I do a ton of other things, you know, with with the state and federal government, uh, not with fish, but with birds. And uh, but you know, and again, it depends on on who you talk to. Now, my what I hear, the buzz that I hear, is that that it's down. That the numbers are down, the fish aren't as robust as they should be, um, and and part of that just could be a gizzard shad issue. You know, if you remember that the the years of the gizzard shad when they were so thick and the walleyes were so big and fat and huge and growing fast and all that, and as that gizzard shad population continued to decline, those fish did get slower growing, thinner. You know, they didn't have to wait kind of where it's at but then you go online 
And there's a million pictures of guys with walleyes, limits of walleyes, day after day after day after day. And so then the question is, they're clean, are they cleaning the lake out? Are they over-harvesting the lake? Um, are they that good that they're able to catch? And it was ice fishing as well. The ice fishermen had a phenomenal year out there. Yet there were some who said they had a horrible year. They couldn't catch perch. They couldn't catch walleyes. But then you've seen pictures of guys who were catching perch and walleyes. Yeah. And they said it was easy. It was easy. <laughs> they were catching tons and tons and tons of fish. Um, I think every lake is that way. You know, you know, you have you have your haves, your have-nots, and there's there's guys who get dialed in, and and have have it figured out, and have enough GPS locations that they can always catch fish in these areas. When those guys stop catching fish, numbers, then it really, then, then you say, okay, well, maybe there is something going on here. Uh, but the way it looks right now, there seems to be plenty of fish, but the quality seems to be down. And, well, it doesn't seem to be down. It is down. I mean, I mean, if it takes, you can't catch, you get a 19-incher and it don't weigh two pounds, the quality stops, you know, that, that's obvious. So what is causing that? It's got to be forage base. I mean, the lake's so full of stuff that's eating everything, you know, and it's loaded with predator fish, smallies, one of the most phenomenal smallies. They're not skinny. No, <laughs> no. They're, they're, they're like beautiful. They're, they're great. And of course, pike and muskies and bass, and you, you just get this, all of these these different predators competing for food that the walleyes eat as well, um, and that ties into a trout perch. Actually, the trout perch population appeared to be up. A lot of guys were talking about the walleyes they were cleaning had trout perch in them, um, and, and not yellow perch. And yet, the yellow perch catch rate was pretty good. And I and I and I talked to others who said let like like uh places where they traditionally perch fish they caught they could catch all they wanted but they're all five inches long. So so there's obviously decent recruitment going on there with them. They're not all being eaten. Uh you know, lakes do have their ups and downs and and managing a, a lake that's over a hundred thousand acres ain't the easiest thing to do. Certainly not. And especially for especially for one species, and uh, it, it it all looks good when I when there's tons of fish and they're all fat and sassy, but as soon as uh, they're not, then somebody's going to get blamed for it. Yep, oh, you know? always. And, and and it's gonna and a lot of the blame goes to over harvesting. And, and and possibly some management issues, uh, water control. Just there's so many. Yeah, you know the thing is, on the bagging system, they rely on the spawning marshes primarily, and and those marshes uh, for three years were so flooded in the spring. Now all of a sudden they're not. So what kind of recruitment are we getting last year and this year? Especially this year, when the water was very, very low, um, 
wilt did a lot of fish spawn in the lake, and that's why there weren't billions of fish up in the river like there usually is. I have the same thing here. I mean, I'm, I'm at basically at the headwaters of the Fox, so uh, our our walleye run that used to be so phenomenal uh, is real spotty. But fike netting in the lake proved that there's a lot of walleyes in there because they were full of fish. So the fish were spawning in the, in the lake instead of making that run up the, that traditional run up the river. And, and, and the state still doesn't know, you know how many fish come out of Bagel, go, go up the Wolf, go up the Fox, and how far up the Fox do they go? Do they go all the way to Partyville from Winnebago? Some probably do, yeah. But why would they? They don't need to. They don't right. need to swim 100 miles. You know? But they do do that. I mean, tagging has proven that. You know, that, that those fish will go that far. Uh, I think it's a, it's the individual fish, but why are they now spawning in the lake instead of in the river? Uh, don't know. And and, and we, we could probably ask that same question about Bagel. You know, how many walleye spawn in Bagel? A million? Don't know. Uh, yeah, how would you ever know? Right. That's what makes man. That's part of one of the many things that makes management so hard. <laughs> sure, sure, and and, and you want to. It, it has the potential to be a, the most phenomenal walleye fishery in the state. I th- actually, I think it is. I mean, even when it's not good, it's still the best. And you know, and Pete Ralph Yeah, you can argue that quality-wise, slot limits, all the things that go on over there. Um, it's really good over there right now. And I know a lot of anglers are pushing for a slot on the bagger system. Um, now they reduce the limit. We're going we're gonna to see that. That's going to help. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's still pretty darn good. Is it as good as it could be? No. Is it as good as it used to be? No. Is it as bad as it used to be? <laughs> no. You know, remember those days, you know, when it wasn't real good. So, yeah. It, you know, nature, uh, abundance of bait fish, people just catching too many, keeping too many, not catching too many, keeping too many. Uh all those things, if they all come together at the same time, you know, it's a perfect storm, and then, do the population tumbles. Uh, ask the people in South Dakota. I mean, they've they seen walleyes in Hawaii. They're all over 10 pounds, and all of a sudden, they're all skinny and scrawny and little, and the fishery is terrible. It's falling apart. we got to fix it. we got to fix it. And all of a sudden, it's good again uh, because the forage base went back up. And, and, and it's crazy phenomenal now but it has had its ups and downs as well all these gigantic bodies of water have that uh, and i don't know if you can manage it back into being better or not you can put a slot in you can do that and i'm neither you know for or against slot limits they are what they are i, I don't go out and fillet 300 walleyes a year and put them all in the freezer you know like some people do and, 
and they shouldn't. They shouldn't. They don't need to. And and fortunately, there's not a, thousands of guys doing that. But it's that that can be a real factor as well. Just that over harvest. Certainly, certainly. And well, I mean, I mean, like the, I know you just threw that number out there for an example, but I mean, man, like three three hundred fish a year. I mean, that's that's two fillets a day. And you know, it's like you said, it's like you get people who maybe don't take it to that extreme, but it is something we deal with in a lot of fisheries, especially the naturally reproducing ones that if you have too many people who take more than they can reasonably consume or reasonably need, it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot of people to start seeing some kind of an impact on what we've got going on, particularly with naturally reoccurring fish. Oh, you're exactly right. It's the same thing with panfish. I mean, we, we see it over harvest, over harvest and ice fishing as well as open water fishing. Uh, same truck at the same ramp day after day after day you can hardly carry the bucket of fish off the ice and and what do you do with that many fish right right you know i mean if you love fishing catching them i just catch them drop them back in the hole yep. you know and just say boy i had a great day today and instead of running all over trying to find people to give them to because you're sick of them. <laughs> and that's i mean I know, seriously i know people that do that oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> like I just go. Why do you do that? I mean, what you know? You must really hate those fish. <laughs> but that's where. But see, that's where like I, that's the bass wannabe. That's the bass angler wannabe in me. Is that I love eating fish, especially. I mean, mm-hmm. I, a good walleye is one of my favorite things to eat in in the world. I, I I mean, you can't beat it, especially if you catch it yourself fresh. You eat it right. real quick. I mean, yep. it's awesome, but. Um, I am the kind of guy who'll go out and catch a thousand fish and put a thousand fish back and then go tell everybody what a great day I had. <laughs> like that, yeah, that very I much know, is I my know. mindset a lot of the yeah. time, you know, but you're right. That, that isn't the case for everybody, particularly depending on why you fish in the first place and what species you target most often, you're going to feel differently sure. about that. Well, th- I, I think back in the musky days and, uh, the 32 inch size limit and every musky 32 point one <laughs> that got caught that got caught and got kept you know and uh musky zinc started and this whole catch release ethic thing happened and, and at the same time as bass and, and look at our musky fishery today it's just phenomenal and back then i mean if you seriously if you caught a keeper it was a big deal if you had three followers it was a huge day and all that well you know, today there's guys out there wailing on those musky big stuff, 40 to 50 inches and bigger, taking a picture, letting them go. And uh, and they could only do that because they were let go and they were 32 inches. Yep. And, and you know, and, and back, back in those days, and, and I get it, back in those days, people just kept fish. That's what you went fishing for, to catch fish, bring them home, eat them. And uh, I think the anglers caught on to the catch and release ethic. Trout helped uh, as well. Trout Unlimited, these organizations said, look guys, if you want to catch bigger fish, you got to let the little ones go. You can't keep eating everything. And, <laughs> yeah. And I love eating fish, man. And, and I love eating fish fresh. So, stocking the freezer full of fish fillets, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. You don't have to do that. And if you're really, if you're that good at catching fish, you can go and catch a meal of fish anytime you want. That's a, that's a great mm-hmm. point, especially really in places can. where you're talking a three walleye yeah. limit. Man, if you get three good keepers, that's food for that's that's yeah. food for you and at least two other people. 
You know, like that's exactly. plenty. Exactly, that's plenty. So, yeah. I mean, if we had that same mindset with deer, uh, when you run out of deer, you just go shoot another one. I mean, <laughs> or, or you shoot eight deer and fill your freezer full of deer. And at the end of the year, you got all these deer. And, you know, you know they met people, guys like me, I deer hunt. I shoot one or two, one with a bow, one with a gun, if I can get one with a bow. Some years I do, some years I don't, but, but we eat it. But I don't need to shoot five. Right. Now, I know the DNR wish I would. Yes. <laughs> because, because I'm surrounded by a million deer where I live, but, uh, you know, you, what do you do with them? I mean, you give some away and all that, but that's a lot of time. And, uh, I, I like to hunt them and, enjoy hunting them and that's uh but i i hunt, only hunt them because i like eating them right if i didn't eat venison i wouldn't deer hunt so pure and simple fair enough fair enough but i would still fish right that's the beauty of <laughs> even if i didn't even if i didn't like to eat fish i would still fish. that's the beauty of catch and release too <laughs> is that I, I, I i've often joked with people if you could catch and release hunt i probably would like, yeah, there you go. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Me too. Every time I shoot a deer, I go, "Oh man, now I got to butcher this thing." <laughs> you know? Yeah, it'd be really cool to just, you know, especially, especially, you know, if you've already got one in the freezer, it'd be pretty cool to drop one, take the picture, and just let it go, and it just runs back on its merry way, and you don't have to put all the work into yeah. gutting it, and quartering yeah, it, and yeah. skinning it, and all that, you know. Yeah, I know. I have one more thing I want to follow up there with you on Daryl. You mentioned it. It came up before and I see the book behind you on the shelf there of birds of Europe and birding is something that if I'm reading correctly on another website, you may or may not know, or you are featured on. (laughs) I read an article about, uh, and and, uh, am I reading this correctly that you, you will uh, lead guided bird trips on occasion. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. How did that all start? Talk, talk me through. I, I, I enjoy bird watching. I'm new to formal, uh, like, uh, formally doing it, but it, it's something I enjoy. I just like, I like testing my identification skills. I like learning different habits, being able to pick out birds sure. in different ways. But where did that all start for you? And then how did it grow into you leading trips where you will help other people experience birds? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I've always been interested in birds, songbirds and, uh, Birds you can hunt and eat as well, grouse and pheasants, and back in the day, quail when we had some. And um, again, my grandfather, my dad, they fed birds, and uh, so that was something that I did as well. Went with them, and the DNR back in the, you know it's funny because back in that day, the DNR would give us. Uh, would bring us gunny sacks full of bird seed to feed the pheasants, the quail, and the grouse. The state of Wisconsin, uh, free, but you couldn't use it in your bird feeder. Hmm. And and my and my grandfather and my dad would get this food, and we would go out into the forest, and they would build feeders, and we'd put the feed in. And of course, songbirds, you know, cardinals and junkos, all those winter birds would come to it as well, blue jays. But it was so cool to walk, follow them into the woods and come up on these feeders and see the pheasants and see the grouse and see, and the quail especially. I always loved quail. 
and uh, eating at these feeds. So I was always interested in that, and as well as the songbirds. And I've always had feeders and stuff. And I, I decided, I don't know, I, I kind of I made a friend of another birder, and he kind of taught me how about the different songs they sing and identifying birds by their song. And he was so good at it, I thought, well, so there's way more to just seeing birds, is hearing birds and being able to know what bird is singing what song. So I learned that, and uh, which took me to the next level of, I wonder how many, <laughs> how many species of birds I could see in Wisconsin in a year. So they call it a big year, uh, where you just drive, run all over the state and, and try to find birds. And I was, I was still tournament fishing at the time. Oh, wow. So, so during my, in between my tournaments, I did this big year. And of course, the, the threshold is always 300 species. It'd be, that, that's a big deal. Yeah, I, I would ended say. Up getting, so I ended up getting 302. And uh, so then my next goal was to get 400 species species lifetime in Wisconsin and uh, I think the current record is 415 or something and no one else is over 400 so uh, I'm at 387 uh, <laughs> I'm at 80 so I'm at 88 <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting close I'm getting close yes you are um, but one of, one of the things but you know but it's not just about me doing that and, and what I get. Who cares? Nobody cares. I mean, who cares? You know, when I finally hit 400, it, if I do, if I live long enough, because uh, right now there's not a whole lot left. It has to be a vagrant. Uh, I have all the nesting species. So, um, nobody's going to give me an award. Nobody cares. It, it's just a personal thing, right? But, in the interim, through all of that, I joined the Wisconsin Society for Ornithology. And of course, ornithology is the study of bird. And while I was there, I, I, I got on the board, was vice president. Um, I won a couple of awards from them for my study of birds that I was doing on the side while I was tournament fishing, because I could do it. I had time. And I had the finances. And so I was able to, to do various things. Now, since 2008, I've been doing water bird surveys for both the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Department of Natural Resources, and for not only for supplemental income, but it's, it, it's the biologist in me that wanted to put something back and to do these studies, uh, really important studies. And, and one was to identify every colony of black terns nesting in the state of Wisconsin. So that was a six-year project, uh, wrapped it up a couple of years ago. The, the, the pile of data is like behind me here. It's like this high. Uh, and uh, we are actually working on, on compiling that and getting a paper out on that. Cool. But it was a ground it was a groundbreaking study. No one's ever done it. And, and and to put the protocols together and then have to change those protocols because some weren't working. Just all the things you have to do and, and, and it helps you 
it helps me as a naturalist, I guess, uh, understand the web, uh, the web of life out there, and and what's so important. And the things I've discovered are just amazing. And and you know, birds, birds that eat fish, okay, have helped me win a lot of money in tournaments. <laughs> And, uh, but I only knew that. And, and, and all you got to do, that's Josh Wiesner, okay? When he won the PWS championship last year on the final day, saw, saw fish eating, minnow eating birds in shallow water. I think they were cormorants. Pulled in there and won the tournament. He'd never fished that spot before. He was actually driving to his spot and saw that. And he turned around, went in there. Uh, those birds were there because there was food to eat. They weren't eating walleyes. They were eating the fish that walleyes were eating. And uh, Josh knew that immediately, pulled it. See, having that knowledge of, is really important. And uh, and they and I had that happen a couple different times. Everybody hates cormorants, of course, because they eat fish. But uh, cormorants helped me win Lake Erie. Cormorants helped me win the Walleye Super Pro uh, because I saw them in places feeding, foraging. So I knew the forage was there. I know what size forage they eat, the same size forage big walleyes eat. And went in there and caught them. I mean, and and so people always laugh about, I ah, the bird watcher. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Bert, because I was, it helped me be a better fisherman, actually. You know, I feel not just because I use, you know, I feel like it's also yeah. it's two things you said. One, that's not that's knowledge, and then applying it right there, right? That's right. that's the application right. of knowledge, right. and I think that also I, I I've noticed too that see because birds are part of the whole like you mentioned the the food web, the natural web because mm-hmm. birds are part of that cycle. If you start learning, well, hey, when the like for instance, it's like you think about when there's going to be a good frost or if winter's kind of here to stay. Well, if you're seeing juncos, that cold you felt is real cold and it's going to stay real cold for a while until they decide to leave. That warm you feel, which can dictate how fish behave, how deer behave, how mm-hmm. pheasants behave, yep. that cold you feel or that warmth you feel, if the juncos are still hanging around in it, that's probably a fake warmth and it's a warmth that's not going to last for any extended period of time because they're still hanging out. It's amazing the things that once you start understanding every piece of the web, there are little cues, like you said, I mean, just even being on the lake and saying, hey, there's a forage here and knowing what the what they eat. Well, hey, that eats the same thing the fish I'm after eat. That is a critical right. piece of information, even for someone who just wants to be a weekend angler. Oh, for sure. You know, I, I, I never, you know, you count birds. Okay, big deal. So you go, you count birds. And, and counting black terns is just a stinking nightmare. I mean, they nest where nobody ever wants to be, okay, <laughs> ever. And it's all kayak. This is zero power boat work. It's all kayaking work. So, so you build up incredible upper body strength, you know, because you're uh, sometimes 16 hours a day sitting in a kayak. And, so, and part of that is loading it to another spot, another spot. You might check eight, ten spots in a day. But, but one of the interesting sidebars of this is I, would, I, I had to re-survey a lake 
that was done three years prior, uh, there were some questions about the data. So I went back to that lake, and three years prior, there was like 60 black terns observed on the lake. So I'd be 30 pairs, give or take, okay? When I was there, there was one pair hmm. three years later, okay? I'm looking at this lake, I'm going, this is a perfect nesting site for black terns. It's just the kind of habitat they want. Why aren't they here? So I sat there for about an hour just watching. And and the one thing I noticed in that hour is I never saw a single dragonfly come off that water. That's what they feed their chicks. That's why they weren't there. You know, so so that the web is just an just the web. It's just another thing. And then the question is, I got all of my dragonfly people. Said, Why? What's happening here? Why aren't these dragonflies here? What's going on? There's some. There's an issue with that ecosystem that that the dragonflies are no longer there that were there three years ago. And they said they would look into it, and I never heard from them again. So uh, I, I don't think you get paid a lot to be a dragonfly expert. I'd imagine not. <laughs> Or a bird expert, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's very rewarding to have been involved in that. I also worked with the endangered. I work with endangered stuff. So uh, I work currently working with endangered foresters terns and common terns, and we're working on a brand new common tern project this year for the first time. I've worked with Kirtland's warblers for three years. Um, totally different deal. From water birds, big guys, you know, big birds, stuff you can see, to these little tiny warblers that nest under a pine tree on the ground, under the ground in some cases. And uh, it's just baffling to, to how they ever make it with everything after them. Everything wants to eat them and destroy their nest, and they still make it. It just like, blows me away. You know, I'm always blown away. So cool. I went on my first bird walk, I don't know, probably three weeks ago. I was blown away that like, I mean, I, I get I'm painting in generalizations here, but that you see a warbler like you mentioned, you know, you see a yellow rumped warbler or something, but then you see a turkey vulture. And it's like the fact that those two things are technically the same thing, yeah, just built yeah. really differently. And then you yeah. talked about, Daryl, the water birds versus non-water birds and mm -hmm. how differently they're built and how differently they've adapted to eat different things and behave different ways and migrate differently and yet we everything that is under the umbrella of birds is still encompassed in there and that just that just baffles me oh it's 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 incredible and studying migration is just so much no one knows i mean how does a bird Shorebird, okay. Shorebird leaves South America, flies all the way to the Arctic. They're there right now. They've, they've been through here and up in the Arctic. There's still some lingering here, but they get to the Arctic, they nest immediately because it's so short a summer. The babies hatch in two weeks, they can fly. So our birds down here, it takes longer because they've got a lot of time. They don't have the time up there. So in two weeks, the babies can fly. The babies are like, well, we're out of here. 
they migrate back in ju early July, late June, early July. People think migration's in October. Right. By October, almost all the birds are already gone. They're, they're, the vets are already in the south or wherever they're going. And the only thing left to migrate that late are, are like tundra swans. <laughs> you know, right. You know, the big guys. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, but the thing is, the parents don't take them there. They just leave and go there. Which is crazy. Right, ex right, exact, and they go right where the parents show up two weeks later at the same spot. No GPS. All the weather and the the things that they have that they're confronted with on a twenty thousand mile round trip flight that they have to do with their wings, little birdies, you know. That that is, that is so incredibly amazing, and and science will never figure that out. There's no way they'll ever figure it out, because that chick didn't exist in South America. Right, right. And that chick flew right back to to his wintering grounds in South America, where it's never been. And they say, well, they follow the adults. No, they don't. The adults come later. <laughs> you know, that's crazy they show up here they show up here the last week of june i'm like well there's some baby least uh uh sandpipers all over the place you see they're colorful you know and, and it's like yeah well they pulled off a good hatch this year and people look at you like you're crazy because their birds are just building nests in their yard you know the robins and the woobers and then these guys are already coming back from the yard <laughs> babies you know and then they hang around here about a month and they head out and then the parents show up later so it's, it's just cool i mean it's just there's so much to learn it's just a ton of stuff to learn and it's cool stuff and okay i to tie a bow on this awesome conversation daryl you mentioned there's a ton of stuff to learn as it pertains to birds but i think if even what we've just covered in this conversation, we have we've discussed fishing, we've discussed hunting, we've discussed birding, all to an extent. Oh, there's so much stuff to do, so much to enjoy in the natural oh. world, and so much stuff that you have taken interest in. How do you make the time for all of it and being able to enjoy it the way you want? Because that, at the very least, takes some time management skills. But I'm I'm willing to bet you're about to tell me it takes a whole lot more than that. Well, you just make time. I mean. I, you know, I, I only sleep five to six hours a day, you know, night. And generally I sleep hard, but a lot of times I, I, I sleep restlessly too. It depends what's going on. And uh, so that does afford me a little extra time. You can't get nothing done when you're sleeping, you know. But, but you got to sleep. You got to you know, re let your body recover. Um but so much of it is just taking care of yourself physically. Um, especially the older you get. So you, so you don't get burned out. You don't get physically burned out. And and you can. Uh, I, I exercise hard. I eat good. I mean, I, I don't eat a lot of junk. Uh, I take vitamins. I just, uh, I get outside. Look at my face in there. I'm always outside, and your face is like a prune. But, uh, of course, I'm, it's not a young face. <laughs> I wasn't going to say uh, anything. <laughs> but um, 
you know, take care of your eyes, take care of it, your body. When you feel good, you have the energy to make time to do all these things. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I manage our parks in Marquette County. That's actually what, I, what I'm doing for a living. So I'm, I'm working that job, working for U.S. Fish and Wildlife, working for the Lake Parkway Protection Rehabilitation District, working for the state of Wisconsin, DNR, working for head-to-head -head fishing. And uh, my wife, uh, at 75 years old, bought the Marquette County Visitor's Guide, so that's what she does. And she <laughs> does advertising distribution. We can only do this because we take care of our, ourselves, and we take care of our bodies, uh, and uh, we always have. And so that's the big part of it. And it's not a lecture, I'm just saying, I know it works because I've seen a whole lot of people that don't, and, and they just don't have the energy to be able to, to do things. And and, and, and that's important. I wanted, somebody said, if you were given another 75 years, would you take it? I said, yeah, in a heartbeat. And there's a lot of people that want out of here. And I, I'm not one of them. I, we've got a phenomenally beautiful world that we live in and can enjoy is full of beauty shut off the stupid television shut off the news and just uh, don't shut off the podcast <laughs> appreciate that <laughs> okay don't shut off the podcast um but you know get out enjoy the beauty of nature it's it's, it's glorious and my, my grandson caught his first trout today and just marveled at the beauty of that fish and uh and, and it was so fun for me to see him catch it, you know. I, I've tried to do that with each one. And, uh, he said, well, I've never caught one. I said, let's go. We'll go get one. We'll go get one right now. That's what it's see, about. See, and that's the difference. You know, and that's what you can do when you feel good. You know, when you, you know, I was tired. I would have rather taken a nap, <laughs> you know. But it, it was important for me to share that experience with him. So for the one hour we were going to go, three hours later, we're still enjoying the trout stream. You know, and, and, and it just rejuvenates you. It, it's just, yeah. So it's, if I could leave anybody with anything, you have time to do so much. And as I, I'm, I do a ton of volunteering, and, and you don't get paid for that. Everybody needs help out there. Go do something. Get rid of that stupid television. Go, go do something. You know, uh, all that does is make you mad, make you frustrated and upset. And, and I, I watch very little. I watch Brewers, though. Me too. See, Me too. Brewers shirt on. Yeah, oh, yeah. Great game today. Walk off. And yeah. Awesome. And uh, um, watch that. Watch the start, watch the end because I was fishing. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, hey, I, I want to take every second of this life I can get, and uh, if it ends tomorrow, well, then it does, but, because uh, it will sometime, everybody does, but do something with your life, man, don't waste it, these, these seconds are so precious, I mean, uh, I was blessed to be able to do all these 
wonderful things in, in my life, and and I'm still doing them. I'm still doing more. I'm learning more. Uh, these research projects are stinking crazy, amazing. <laughs> stuff I'm learning. But you know what? I was fishing with Dale Helgeson, you know, learning how to use the new electronics. I'm like, whoa. I wish I would have had these years ago, you know. <laughs> and where you just, oh, there's two. Cast over and catch him, you know. Instead of just, I hope there's a fish over there where I'm fishing. Mm -hmm. You know, triangulation of spots. <laughs> yeah. You know, all of that. And, and uh, but it worked. And yeah, it, it changes. You know? And technology changes things. We're doing that with birds. When transmitters on them, we're finding crazy stuff out about these guys. And they're doing it with fish. And, it's fun. It's cool to learn that. You know, they they were always mysteries and mystery solves. And now, how can we make it better? You know, and, and enhance habitat and just do all these things to bring everything back into what it used to be, or or maybe even better than it used to be. Yeah, you know. I love that thought yeah. process, and I mean that's just, and I just I appreciate your outlook. I think it's extremely wise, and that you just. That's a lot of great advice and a lot of great points, and I appreciate you sharing them because you're exactly right. There's just there's just no sense in wasting time and no sense in not enjoying learning when there are so many things to be learned and so many things that, like you said, even once we do learn them, there's so much we can apply, so many places we can apply that information, and we should do it, you know? Right, right, for sure, and and, and share it. And, you know, it's... It, it's great to do it all for our own personal enjoyment and our self-satisfaction and all that stuff. But if nobody else benefits from it, that's just selfishness. And, 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 and you know what? Nobody cares about your stinking awards and your accolades and all that crap. They don't care. And when you die, you're, you're gone and they move on to the next guy that's out there. And uh, Just ask any burnt-out rock star, you know, any any athlete or professional athlete. It's, it's just how it is. So the people they remember are the people that you do something with what they've learned and what they benefited from. And, and you just pass that on. And, and they'll remember you then. And even if they don't, it don't matter. Anymore. You're <laughs> dead, right? <laughs> so... And they put a plaque and be, who's that guy? You know, yeah, <laughs> never heard of him. You're not wrong. I mean, You're not wrong. Yeah. I had a guy asked me the other day, who's Al Linder? You know, oh jeez, kid fishing. Yeah, I mean, and I said, well, you know, he, he invented fishing. He's like 150 years old. <laughs> you know? And if that guy, it seems like it. If that guy's not getting remembered in this in this relatively small time frame yeah. in the scheme of history you and i daryl stand zero yeah, chance exactly. of being remembered if st stand zero chance and 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 you ever want to you ever want to talk to somebody that's whose head is so full of knowledge and who i think wishes he could live to be 150 be al linder the guy's so stinking amazing. It just blows my mind how he thinks and how he figures stuff out. And he did it when he was 18, 17 years old, 16 years old. He was doing it. And he's still doing it today. I mean, I, I mean, 
just an amazing person. Incredible. And and shared it. You know, and shared it with the world. So that's that's awesome. People always say, who's your hero? Well, it's well, Al, you know, because he's not only, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the, the anger who changed our world of fishing, but the world of fishing, but he's just a good guy, and, he, and he, he'll sit down with you, hey, you want to go fishing? Let's go, you know, and who says, no, I can't, I got to work. Oh, in that case, never. <laughs> never, right? Exactly. So uh, uh, I've really, truly been blessed to have him as a friend and, and a mentor and, and just, yeah, uh, cool guy. There's a bunch of them out there, a bunch. You know, we just lost Ray Scott, and Ray Scott was kind of the same way, just, uh, just an incredible guy. You know, if it wasn't for Ray Scott, we'd still be fishing carp tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, it's easy to say now in the world we live in wouldn't be an entirely bad thing, but would not be nearly as exciting with what we have as what we have now. If carp hit spinner baits, that's what we'd be doing. <laughs> <laughs> we'd be fishing carp. We would be fishing bass. Believe me. <laughs> oh man. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate yeah. it. This was a wonderful conversation. And hopefully, you know, there's there's a whole slew of other stuff that I, I would just love to chat with you about. But I've learned so much from this. And hopefully we'll, we can have you on again sometime. But I just, no matter what, I appreciate this time very much. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Nate. I, I want to, if I may, just give a shout out to the to uh, Brian Keller and, and Matt Trotz and, uh Andy Cleveland, Kyle Carpenter. These guys have been just an incredible bunch of guys to work with and work for. And uh, looking forward to our future podcaster and just to see what craziness they can come up with down the road. They've always got something. <laughs> with tournaments. But uh, they really reignited a fire in me for, for uh, competitive fishing. That that kind of had burned out after 2008, and uh, it it just feels good to be back and talking fishing, and 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 just uh, found out that it was way easier to talk, sit in the studio and talk about it, is actually go out there and compete, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> not as fun though. <laughs> well, depends on the day, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not as fun. I mean, I mean, everything within me is just, I agonize sometimes watching it, going, oh, if they would only do this, or if they would only do that, or why aren't they doing this, and why aren't they over there, and, and don't they know what these fish are doing right now? Right now, and, and Matt always looks at me, this is killing you, isn't it? I says, oh, yeah, <laughs> big time, you know, and I don't want to be that Monday morning quarter. No, no, guy. and you do a good Those job guys, of not being that guy. You know, because uh, you know, I know how tough it can be, and, and, and I just don't want to be that guy. Uh, and, or, well, when I played, blah, 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 who cares about you when you played, you know, you didn't even have footballs back then. <laughs> Real footballs. <laughs> so, only Tom Brady can say that, right? That's right. That's right. And I, but I mean, and 
it's but it's a good thing too that I don't sell yourself short, Daryl, that you do not not only do I think you do a very good job of of not being that guy, because also I, I'm curious, I mean, no one would dare do it to you on air, but it's like you gotta like did you ever when you were fishing that tournament at then on Lake Geneva go, ah geez, there's probably someone sitting on their couch going, Well, I don't get why he doesn't do whatever, why they're not fishing over there. You know, it's kind of treat people how you want to be treated kind of a thing, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> I never thought of that actually. All I thought about was how cold I was. You know, uh, on on that first day in that rain, or the second day in that rain, and um, you know, I did turn to Kyle. At we started at eight, and at nine o'clock, I looked back at Kyle and I said, "Is it one o'clock yet?" <laughs> <laughs> and he 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 didn't even laugh. He was just he was as miserable as I was. But then you catch a fish, and then that all goes away. It does. Yeah, the adrenaline buzzes through you and warms you up, and. And you go, okay, we can do this, we can do this, you know. And then you get another fish, and you go, okay, we can do this, a couple more fish, you know. And and, and that's the beauty of, of competing. And uh, I always wanted to compete in a high-level tournament against somebody that that's done it, that's fished the Bassmaster Classic, that's one major tournament. I said, I said, I wanted to fish against those guys just to see if I could compete. And I did. I caught some fish. I caught some scoreable fish, and uh, believe that uh, had I had more time to practice, I would have come even closer to making a cut line. Maybe not made it, but those guys are light years ahead of me in their knowledge of bass fishing. Um, they just are, I mean, and and that's why they. Made the, that's why they made the grade eight, the top eight guys. They made it because they could put it together right away, and and I could not do that. And uh, um, it, and that's our, and that's okay. I mean, it is. Hey, good for them. And and I learned so much. I actually feel like if I could do it again next year. I would be so much further ahead just because I competed in that tournament. I would not have learned that sitting in the studio. You got to be out there. You got to experience the whole thing. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So, a lot of stuff. And maybe next year. There you go. That's and maybe this and maybe this. Yeah, maybe you get yeah, it, we'll maybe see. get in the Northwoods Ender and and you can and you can you'll have more than a day of practice and you can show all of those guys what's up. You know. I'll be bird watching. You know, it's, it's a fall migration, and it's and it's a duck hunting split. You know, I'll be looking, looking up in the sky for ducks, and yeah, and who knows? Matt would get a kick out of that on air, though. <laughs> yeah, he would. He would. Boy, Matt, talk about a pro's pro. That guy's taught me so much uh, about being a commentator and. You know, just being the awareness, and, and you know, you, you do these things, timeliness, and, and uh, you know, not saying something stupid, which I can do quite frequently at times, and, and, and grasping what's going on while all these voices are in your head from producers and, and directors and stuff at the same time. And the first day I was so overwhelmed by that because I had never done it before. 
and he was so encouraging, he said, hey, man, you, you'll get it, you'll get it. And it took a while, but then it got easy, then it was easy. And now it's easy. Now it's really easy. So uh, I learned one more new thing that I never had done before in my life, so that was fun. Just another example of you getting the most out of, of making the most of the time in your day. Another thing, another thing on your plate, but another thing that clearly has brought enjoyment to your life, too. Well, it has. I'm I'm not a guy that gets enjoyment out of going on a paddle boat on a senior tour, you know, down the river. I spent. I'd rather be racing past the paddle boat my, and a bass my bass boat, <laughs> <laughs> going fishing <pitch it> somewhere. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, when you as long as you can still do it, it felt good. It really felt good to to be about good yesterday. Running down Pacaway in my bass boat and catching some fish. And my grandson, he's it's awesome. He's learning and uh, he's having a blast and he's with me all summer. So, uh, learning all kinds of good stuff. That's what it's all about. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. So. Good. Good, good. So we're what? going night crawler. We're going hunting night crawler this year in about an hour. It's going to be a good night for it. <laughs> it is. It's going to be a good night for it. Well, thanks again, Daryl. Appreciate your time you very bet. much. And we'll uh, talk thank soon. Thank you, Nate. Yeah, sounds good. You know, anytime. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, we're going to have Daryl on the show again. Such a knowledgeable and wise person and who's so thoughtful about the outdoors. Who I can't think of a person who, who personifies enjoying nature to the fullest the way Daryl does. There are so many things I could have talked to him about yet. I have so much I want to ask him, so many stories I want to hear. It's kind of like you know going into a small town bar after a day of fishing or hunting and being able to chat it up with one of the locals and just hearing everything they know, everything they enjoy about the area and everything they love about nature. And I, I just love conversations like that. So easy to listen to Daryl's stories. I've, I learned so much from him. Hopefully you did too. Just an enjoyable, awesome person to talk to. And I'm grateful he took the time to just share a little bit of his wisdom with us and, and spend some time giving insight and perspective that only he can provide. And it's awesome and reassuring to me that it is possible to enjoy the outdoors to the fullest without having to pick exclusively hunting, exclusively fishing, exclusively birding, and all of those things kind of work together. And I, it was so cool. I, I talked my wife's ear off about the conversation I had with Daryl right after we got off the call, we went for a walk and I just, I had so much to share about what I loved about my conversation with Daryl and I hope you loved it as much as I did. So he will be on again. He will definitely be on again. All right. Before we tie a bow on this puppy, a few things, be sure to visit the website often, NathanWolfleOutdoors.com. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. You'll never miss another show, another guest, another chance to explore the Wisconsin outdoors in a different way. You can follow me on social media, on Facebook by searching Nathan Wolfel Outdoors or on Instagram at ndubs41. That's at ndubs41 on Instagram. 
If you have feedback on the show on the website, things you want to hear about, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you'd like answered, uh, articles you'd like written, be sure to reach out to me via email at natewoffel at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-E-W-O-E-L-F-E-L at gmail.com. So that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks again for listening. I hope you find some time to enjoy the beautiful Wisconsin outdoors between now and the next time we speak. And we'll talk again real soon.